step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. today. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. You know, um, it's going to be a wonderful Wednesday afternoon. We're so happy to have you as an audience. We have a wonderful show lined up for you today. We have Jocelyn Chia, lawyer turned comedian, and Dr. Jen Welter, the first woman NFL coach. You have no idea how amazing these two women are. We simply adore them both. They have so much to share. And um, we're just going to get right into the show. Um, if you don't, we're going to bring on our co-host, Mr. Absolutely. Yeah, I have a new name for him, Mr. Absolutely J. Logan. Happy Thanksgiving, Jay. Happy, happy Thanksgiving, yes. Um, I'm getting my, my utensils ready, and I'm going to be eating up a storm. <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to be eating at my mother-in-law's house, so I am not cooking. I'm excited about that, you know. Um, great food, turkey, you know, the cranberry sauce, the, you know, all the traditional things, but most importantly, just being with family, you know. Um, yes. Just excited about that, you know, totally excited about that. We have our first guest on, Jay, but I wanted you to share with everyone a little bit about, you know, the news for today. Okay, if you don't mind. We're going to just go okay. over one piece of the news, and then we're going to bring right in Ms. Jocelyn Chi, our first guest. What do you think, Jack? I think that would be wonderful. That's great. Um, great. Well, some of the news, Gail, is uh, I, was, I was digging up some stuff about charter schools. And in urban charter schools, they say often succeed, but suburban ones often don't. And I wanted to you know, ask you that question, is that – agreeable from your standpoint, you know, charter schools are already very controversial, but are they good for our education? Hmm. Um, some people say um, they're able to change their curriculum at will. And is that good for our kids? 
I don't know. Um, you, so you know, I don't know. I don't know either, Jay, because you know it's. I think that you know we're putting more money into charter schools. Children have to sit back and watch a wheel roll to see if their name will be called to a lottery for the school. Sometimes, I think we could just put more money into our public schools. That's just my thought. I, 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 you know, yeah, I think that too. Um, I think that too. But I was gonna, I was going to I was going to ask you, Gil, the lotto system to get into the schools. Is that fair? I mean, you draw a number, or should you do it basically on your child's grade point average? Or grade point you average. Do it, Absolutely. Okay. But, it, but let me ask you this, Jay, as well. If we're putting the money into the charter school, right, why not just put the mm-hmm. money needed into a public school? Why have a public school then? You know what I mean? Right. If you think about it. <laughs> right. If you because think about it, kinda... really. Why, exactly. Why have a public school? It seems like it's, it's a double standard, Gail. It seems like, you know, they want certain uh, kids to go to this school and certain kids to go to this school. So, because you don't get a chance to really, you know, a lot of kids can't go to a charter school. They can't, you know, for other for for me it's the reasons. But if you if you want to give equal education to all the children in America, there should be some type of standard. And Absolutely. Kind of. Yeah. So yeah. So. Um, those are the things that I'm concerned about and you're concerned about. You always talked about charter schools and how they kind of, uh, you know, it kind of gives certain people privileges because, you know, they they can change, like, their curriculum any time. So I don't think that's the way exactly to do things. I think those privileges should, you know, be given to public schools also. Um, so that was some of the news that, uh, that, that we had out there. Um, the other thing is um, – Firefox, yeah. You use Firefox, Gail? I don't know if you use Chrome. Yes, or... I, oh, of course. You know, I love all all technology. Well, they say we don't need Google to make money anymore. They have totally disengaged themselves from Google. They once banked on millions and millions of dollars Google's paid for search traffic for the Firefox browser. Now it relies on Yahoo and other uh, companies to do the search engine and they're very happy. They're up, um, I think, last year they were uh, maybe they up 15% in, um, in revenue and cash, you know. Um, 2013, they were like 13, $314 million. Uh, this year they're like $330 million. Uh, the chief financial officer, Jim Cook, is very happy, and they're able to do their own thing. So look for some good things from Firefox. Um I remember when I used to use Firefox, I didn't get many viruses as I did in the Explorer browser. Um, Firefox is really a good thing to have to install on your computer now. So um, the other thing uh, in, the, in the news is I'm a big fan of Sly and the Family Stone. Co-founder Cynthia Robinson, she passed at 69 years old. Uh, she succumbed to a, a lengthy battle with cancer. Very influential influential for me because when I came out to California as a kid, and that's the first thing I heard was Sly and the Family Stone. Now, what's, why I'm saying this is because now you see all these kid stars now. You got, um, you know, just, Justin Bieber. You, you know, you got Selena. But when when I was young, we didn't have that many kid stars. You know, like we didn't have that. You know, you, I had to look up to Sly and the Family Stone or Tom Jones or um, the Beatles. 
Elvis Presley. But now kids are, you know, 16 and 17 years old. They're huge stars now, you know. So exactly. I just wanted to tribute out. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, we 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 didn't get a chance to um, – uh, there was no kid superstars. Not really. That's the Jackson 5s came out and Donny Osmond, and that's about it, you know. Exactly. And, um, I, I tell you, so, it's, it's, it's so much the truth. It is absolutely yeah. the truth, Jay, what you're saying. Well, you know, it might be a bit too much. It might be a bit too much? Yes. Well, Jay, we're going to finish that part of the conversation later on because we have our first guest on. Are you ready to bring her on? I am excited. Yes, I am. I I am. I mean, Jocelyn, she was on when our show was Parents Kids Music. So without further ado, okay, we are going to bring on Miss Jocelyn Chia. Jocelyn, how Hi, are you? Hi, everyone. Welcome. Thank welcome, you so much. Well, Hi, Gail. Hi, Jay. Hi. How are you? You know, Jocelyn, I'm I hope you good. don't mind. We're going to get right into the show with you, if you don't mind, and we Absolutely. just would love for you to answer your questions so our audience won't get all the goodies too fast, okay? Would that mm-hmm. be okay with you? Of course. Okay. So we just asked that you tailor your answers to the questions because we have so much, so many things to ask you, and we're excited about this, Jocelyn. You know, Jocelyn, you know, where do we start? There's so much you've done, okay? <laughs> Jocelyn, where are you from originally? And, you know, we want to start there so that audience gets things idea, you know, where you're from, where you're from originally, and how did you end up coming to the U.S.? So I'm originally from Singapore, and I came to the U.S. because I was actually born here. I was born in Boston when my dad was studying um, his postgraduate studies there. And so I moved back to Singapore when I was just a few weeks old, and I came back to the U.S. for college because in Singapore they make you choose either Singapore citizenship or the other citizenship that you have. So I had dual for a while, but at 21 you had to choose. So my dad thought that in order to help me make a more educated choice, I had to experience life in my birth country, and so he sent me to college in America. Oh, wow. Well, I know Jay has a question for you. I sure do, Jocelyn. I'm so excited you're on our show. My question you, to everybody. you is, <laughs> my question to you, Jocelyn, is what did you study in school when you came here to the United States? My major was in sociology, but it was pretty much a liberal arts program. So other than sociology, I could mix in all these other great things like art history and French and psychology. And that was actually one of the main reasons why I did want to come to America for college because it was such a broad-based liberal education rather than the very focused education I would have gotten if I remained in Singapore or gone to the U.K. to study law. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, you know... um, Jocelyn, you were a lawyer. What oh, did yes. you love? Uh, what did you love about law, and why did you choose that field specifically? Hmm. Great question. Uh, I loved it when the 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 two big categories of legal practice. One is litigation, and the other is corporate work. And I, I loved it when I was doing the more litigation type practice, um, and I did that mainly my pro bono work for victims of domestic violence and asylum seekers. And in the practice of that work, it was very, very gratifying to be able to 
pursue justice for people and get, uh, really just improving their lives using the legal system. Uh, corporate law is very different. Uh, it was more working for companies, and I did mergers and acquisitions and private equity and capital markets, so raising money, money for companies and merging companies and helping one company buy another. That one was more exciting for the... <laughs> the, the billions of dollars that, that went into it and, and the opportunity to have your, your deal appear on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, so I would say the, the litigation practice for me was more personally satisfying and the corporate practice, because I was practicing it at such a high level, was um, more more of a materialistic kind of exciting. Wow. Wow. So, Justin, as a lawyer, I understand you left law for a while and became a consultant. Would you tell us a bit about this? Yes. So, after my legal practice, I started an online business. It was part of the the group buying craze at the time. I launched one of those online group buying websites. And after I sold that off, I found this consulting company. Um, there's an innovation consulting company. So they were what what they really tried to do was to get big companies like, say, General Electric or Nestle to be more innovative and be more entrepreneurial, operate more like a small, nimble, quick-moving uh, entrepreneurial company. And so I joined them for a couple of years to really kind of bring my, my innovation and entrepreneurial expertise to the larger companies. Um, and, and our belief was that we could really make an impact and it wasn't just the small startups that could make a disruptive impact on the world but large companies with all their resources and expertise are in a great position too to make a significant impact on the world um, by employing more entrepreneurial and innovative methodologies. Interesting. Wow. That's, that's <laughs> quite interesting. You know, you know, Jocelyn, you know, it's, it, it is interesting. We could go in so much. You know, I understand you have family members who are in the arts. Would you tell us a little bit about that and if that had any influence on you now becoming a comedian? Uh, I would say my dad is an unfulfilled artist. He he is a writer, and he wanted to be a writer, a journalist, um, but he had a study scholarship to study engineering, and so he did that, even got as far as doing a master's at MIT. So even though it wasn't his passion or what he would have chosen uh, as his first choice career, he did it because his education was going to be paid for, and he grew up as a poor boy. Uh, so my, I do recognize my, my dad as a, as a blocked or unfulfilled artist, and that actually makes him, I think, remarkably supportive of my artistic pursuits. My sister uh, has a I guess you could call it an artistic career as well. She's a disc jockey, uh, not not a radio disc jockey. She plays at all the top clubs in, in Asia and sometimes in Germany as well and also at times California. And he, you know, he, he didn't force her to do a more traditional career. He, even though could have, didn't force me to stick with a more traditional career. He's actually been the most supportive support I have for my comedy. I have a lot of great friends um, and family members who support me, but he's my number one supporter. And it's crazy to think there's this Asian father who, who the stereotype would be 
no, you have to be a lawyer. I paid good money for your legal education at Georgetown. You graduated with honors. You worked at a top law firm. How can you just <laughs> leave this to tell jokes? This is insane. You know, and he didn't, he didn't do any of that. He has been fully supportive of my comedy career. And that I would wow. say that has made a big difference to have the support of, of uh, a parent in doing something so, so radically different from what your culture would expect you to do. Uh, this has really made a difference. And I, I don't think I could have done it with Gusto that I've done it with it had it not been for his support. Wow. wow. That's amazing. Well, this this is a, um, a question to me. Me and Gail, we were we were both fighting over who's going to ask you this one. Um, <laughs> we want to know. We So we'll both ask you. We want to know when did you start your stand-up com- com- comedy? Where did you start it? And were there any stage fright involved? Mm. So I started it, I believe it was 2011. I had done this program called She Creates Change by this woman, Suparna Basin, and what what she created in this program was a group of women who were in their life transition, most of us in a career transition, maybe some were in a relationship transition, but a lot of us were in career transitions, and it was really to figure out what was our life calling and our, and our passion, and by the end of the, I think, six-week program, we all got together in a semi-circle, and we had a calling party, so one woman would sit in the center and everyone else who had gotten to know her pretty well by then would just say out what they feel her calling is. And one woman, Anna, just said, Jocelyn, I think you're so, so funny. I want to see you do stand-up comedy. And I was like, oh, okay. It's like an instant light bulb went off in my head. I was like, yeah, duh. <laughs> How have I not thought of this before? And so I did that. I took a class and I did a new talent show. But... Strangely, also to your stage fright question, uh, yes, I do get nervous right before I get on stage, so about like maybe the five to ten minutes before I get on stage. Depending on how important the show is, now that I do some bigger, more important shows, I can be nervous even like a whole hour beforehand. But at the time, it was just a new talent show. I knew it was not that big of a deal, so I think like maybe ten minutes beforehand, I got nervous. But the moment I get on stage and say my first words and get my first laugh, then all tension disappears, and then it's just me one with the audience, and I'm just in the zone, and I don't feel nervous at all after that happens. Wow. That's interesting that you that you would say that, uh, Jocelyn. Very interesting. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to know is, Jocelyn, you know, I know you're a comedian now, okay? Mm-hmm. But what I'd like to know is when did you know you wanted to become a comedian full-time? Like, when did that really hit you? Yeah, I would say there was actually – Two very similar incidents. So after my first time on stage in 2011, I, I didn't know it was my calling then. I was like, ah, I got on stage. I was like, ah, I don't think this is my passion. Like, I don't feel like, oh, my God, I have to do this. Like, I, so I stopped. I didn't do it for three years. And then I was in Boston working at the innovation consulting company, and this guy took me out on a – I think it was a date. I think he meant it as a date. And we went to see Aziz Ansari uh, and – I was so clueless about stand-up comedy back then. I didn't even know who Aziz Ansari was. I was like, okay, some Indian guy telling jokes. Fine, that sounds interesting. And so I went, and halfway through his set, I started crying. Not like tears of laughter, but emotional tears. And like, why the F am I crying in a comedy show? This is crazy. And my, my gut was saying, because this is what you really want to do. I was like, oh, shit, I, I'm a consultant, and my company's sending me back to Singapore, et cetera. Like, this can't be it. 
but that did happen. Um, and then a second time, I think a few months later, I was in New York City, and I was at the Gotham Comedy Club, and there was this comedian, John Lester, on, on stage, and the same thing happened. I started crying in the middle of his set. I was like, why the half do I keep crying in the middle of comedy shows? This is insane. And again, the same response, because this is what you're really supposed to do. And I think those two experiences sealed the deal. Like, yes, you know, emotionally, gut reaction, like, this is what I have to do. And after then, I have not stopped ever since. Oh, wow. wow. 2013. Wow. Well, we, you know, we want to know, you know, what steps did you take? I mean, what did you have to, you know, what, to be a comedian? Our audience wants to know what steps, if I wanted to be one, a comedian, what steps did you take to become one? Yeah, the the challenge with being a comedian or I guess any kind of artist is that it's not like a profession, it's not like the law where it's very structured, it's very linear, you know, there's a step A, step B, go to law, we all take the LSS, go to law school, do well, get a good internship, get a job at the internship, uh, work your butt off and then you make partners, like that's pretty clear cut. So a comedian's path can really zigzag, and it's different for everyone. But the basic steps would be, I think, first off, I would recommend taking a class that other people have recommended to you as a good class. Um, and not all classes are, are going to be, I think, worth their salt. But I think it's a good idea to take a class just to, just to kind of learn the basics. If you can't afford a class or don't like the idea of a class, then get a book just to learn some of the basics of stand-up comedy and what it takes to get a good joke. And then you just have to do it. So you have to go to an open mic. Uh, and it was actually in, in Boston when I took a class there that I discovered this thing called open mics. My class in New York City did not tell me anything about open mics. Um, I think they just wanted you to do their new talent shows uh, to, to keep the, the money in their pockets, I guess. And in Boston, I was when this was the first time I was exposed to this concept called open mics. We can just go, and it's going to be a bunch of comics in the crowd. Uh, sometimes you have real people, but oftentimes open mics are all comics, and you just try out your jokes and hope it's funny, and you just keep doing that. And it's a little bit like being an entrepreneur, actually. So entrepreneurs, they come up with an idea, and then they have to throw it onto the market, and they test it, and they iterate and they retest the, the new iterated version until you finally hit something that's going to be gold. And it's the same thing with stand-up comedy. You have this idea of something you think will be funny. You just throw it out there with a test audience, which is going to be a low-risk audience, right? An open mic is very low-risk. You're not going to go to um, – so, for example, Bill Burr is not going to go to Madison Square Garden with a brand-new idea. No, he's going to have to test it out in, like, smaller audiences first before he gets to do it as a fully fleshed-out joke at, at Madison Square Garden. And so you try it out in open mic – uh, see what works, what doesn't work. You go back, uh, change something or add a, add a different something. You basically you iterate on your joke to use uh, entrepreneurial speak and put it out again until finally you get those big, strong laughs that you need. And then you're like, okay, this joke is good. Uh, and then you move on to the next one. And you can always go back to jokes that have worked well and make them better. It's a constantly evolving process. Wow. You know, how has being a lawyer and a, and a consultant, an entrepreneur, helped you in being a comedian? I would say it helps with, this is a bit of a chicken egg question, right? Is it my, my basic drive that got me to be a lawyer and consultant entrepreneur that is now helping me as, as a comedian or uh, is, has the discipline and, and hard work that I got as a lawyer, consultant, entrepreneur? Um, translating into stand-up comedy. Some of it may just be my intrinsic uh, 
need to do good, need to do well, you know, like failures on an option kind of mentality. Um, but to the extent that I had to work very, very hard as a lawyer and consultant and entrepreneur and also learning these principles like being quick to test, go to market as soon as possible, iterate quickly, don't don't get all hung up on one idea. You know, you can't fall in love with your initial jokes too quickly because it's going to change, you're going to iterate upon it. And uh, so I, I am pretty, I would say, ruthless is not, it's too harsh of a word, but something along the lines of ruthless with my jokes. You know, I'm like, okay, as much as I love an initial joke, if it's not working, I'm not going to just keep doing it. I know of some comics who will tell a joke that just doesn't get a laugh because they're like, I don't care. I love this joke. I think it's fine. I'm going to do it anyway. No, I really play to the audience, which an entrepreneur would say, I really service my customer. You know, it's the customer that's right. The audience is right. They're going to tell you what's funny. And so I'm not egotistical about what I think is funny. I go by what the audience tells me is funny. So I think some of the the things I learned as an entrepreneur can help in my stand-up in that sense. Wow. Hmm. Well, Jocelyn, what have you learned from being a comedian? Hmm. What have I learned from being a comedian? I would say uh, that's a wow, that's a really broad question. Uh, other than um, the business and learning how to be a performer, I guess public speaking skills, uh, learning to read an audience. Uh, it's not always the easiest of things, being able to read people and and the kind of jokes that might work for them. Uh, actually, being quick on your feet to to rescue yourself when you when you tell a joke that didn't go over well or the audience is a little PC and they groan at something. It's just having a quick save, thinking on your feet. And I guess also learning to combat the self doubt. You know, this is a very non traditional path. The the path is not clear. The end is uh iffy. You know, I don't know if I'll be able to, to fully make it to the level that I want to make it. Um, so I guess being able to combat self-doubt and, and plowing forward, which is actually, you know, it's interesting now, now that I'm talking about it. It's actually very, very similar to being an entrepreneur. You don't know if you're going to make it. You uh, have to keep combating your self-doubt. So going back to your earlier question, I think being an entrepreneur has helped the most in being a comedian just in terms of all the skills and the mental toughness that you need for both. Good answer. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, um, Jocelyn, what has the journey? So, you know, Jay asked you what you've learned from being a comedian. I want to know what has the journey been being a comedian? I may sound like a broken record, but it's actually very similar to being an entrepreneur. It's a lot of ups and downs. Um, so when you first start out, I feel like maybe the first six months is pretty fun because you're doing something so new and you're just, you have no idea if you're any good at it and then you're getting laughs and you're like, wow, this is fun. I can make people laugh. So that was pretty fun. It's kind of like the, the kindergarten phase and you're just playing around and mucking around in the sand and having fun with your fellow comics. And as you move on and realize that, wow, you know, I can't actually possibly make a career out of this and then 
Yeah, that speaks for as as my own personal journey. It's going to be different every comedian. And so for me, after like the first six ish months or so, and um, realizing that okay, I can and actually really do want to do this for a living. Maybe it was a year. I can't remember anymore. But then I started taking it more seriously, right? And that's when it became maybe even a little less fun, uh, which is which is sad. But I I've always thought that you know once you turn your passion into your rice bowl, you may actually lose a little bit of your passion. I don't think I've lost the passion for it, but I do get much more stressed out about it. So after I, I decide, all right, this is going to be a career for me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do this and make this into a profession. Uh, then it's really ups and downs. So sometimes I can be really high, say you know when I win a competition or, or get a certain amount of recognition, and then I'll be like, oh my god, this is amazing! I'm doing exactly what I meant to do. And then there'll be a period of stagnation where maybe some jokes that you have don't work so well or I I don't do that great in the competition. You know, some, something that will set me back and maybe not feel so good, and then I, I'm down again. But uh, I do have one comic friend who's saying, "You things are always going well enough that I never want to quit, but never so well that I'm happy." <laughs> so uh, sometimes I I do get happy, <laughs> but it's those um, flashes of happiness that come about from success. And I I think you know just to to go back to maybe some of my spirituality and Buddhist thinking, I really want to get to the point where I can just be happy no matter what and the external success will be there and I can get some kind of extrinsic happiness from it, but the intrinsic happiness is still the most important, especially if you're doing something as variable as being an artist. Like You have to have that inner peace within you to battle the vagaries of being a working artist. Wow. Well, you know, we have a little time left, and we're going to be a little selfish here, Jocelyn, okay? <laughs> We'd love to ask you if you would give us, like, one or two jokes before you leave. Uh, you know, comics always say don't ever tell jokes other than when you're on stage or, you know, on a, on a TV taping because it's just it's just so different. Oh, wow. But... Okay. <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll indulge. You you may not laugh. Like I said, the energy of hearing a joke on stage is really, really different. Uh, I guess I'll, t- I'll tell you this one. So I actually read in the news that a couple had gotten married at a Costco, true news story, and apparently it was a compromise because the bride wanted Hawaii and the groom wanted to stay single. Yeah, you see, never tell a joke off stage. Okay, <laughs> I've learned my lesson the hard way, <laughs> including on a radio talk show host. No, no, um, but I kind of got it. I kind of got it. <laughs> well, no, and, and you know, um, we just want to thank you for being on our show. And, Jay, did you have any last questions for Jocelyn? Yes, I just have one. And 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 Gail knows. I always ask this question: Is it? Did you meet any type of resistance being a woman comedian? Is it hard to be a woman? Because because I'm I'm just wondering because you know you're doing something and it's extraordinary what you're doing. But being a woman comedian when you have all these males in this field, did you re- meet any resistance? No, I have heard a lot of female comics um, complain about how hard it is to be a female in the industry. That has not been. My experience, if anything, I think it actually helps. Like now is a and okay, okay, I think maybe 10, 20 years ago it was a lot harder to be a female, but now it seems to be the golden age of women in comedy with Tina Fey, Mindy Carling, uh, Amy Poehler, Amy Schumer paving the way for us. Um, being a woman is 
very accepted. And yet, maybe there's some people who think just generally women are not funny, but I think the the aforementioned females have really proven otherwise. And I find doors actually opening a lot for females because we are such a minority in the business. And so in this day where everyone is very focused on diversity, um, I have found that it's actually helped me being a, a female comic and, and an Asian female comic actually also helps because people just want some diversity. They don't just want to see all white male comics. Um, yeah, so actually some people have felt that it's actually harder being a white male comic these days uh, to get more attention because it's harder to stand out. So for me, I found it to actually be an advantage. Okay. <laughs> that's beautiful. Wow. That is, that's amazing. And Jocelyn, we really thank you for being on the show because it really will give, inspire young people, older people, that they can really create what they want. You know, Jocelyn, before um, we go, you know, one of the things, you know, just to let the audience know, Jocelyn and I have known each other for quite a long time. And, Jocelyn, one of the things a lot of us, you know, all of us women admire each other. You know, we've been entrepreneurs, we've been all that together. I've always noticed throughout the time we've known you that whatever you've put your mind to, that doesn't say that it's everything is easy, but whatever you've put your mind to, you've always succeeded in. Can you give your last words to other people who can, you know, sometimes are hitting roadblocks and things like that? What is it that you have always done that has allowed you to move forward into the different career choices that you've made? Uh, I'll give you two answers. First of all, it's the love and support of my family, right? So I have a, a ground, a rock of support with my parents, so I know that they got my back, so I can actually take risk and and fly and, and jump and yeah do things that are a little unsafe because I know they are my bedrock. And then the second thing is this quote that I read as a very young girl, which is the successful person was one who picked himself up one more time than he or she fell. So you may, may fail a bunch mm-hmm. of times and, and hit a bunch of roadblocks, but if you just you know don't give up and be like, you know what, if I just pick myself up this one time, this may be that one time that's it, that's all I need to be successful so it, it may be 10 times or 20 times, but you just remember that like the, the successful person was the one that tried one more time than he had been sailing. And just one more time. Well, right, Edison took, I, I don't know how many thousands of times to, to invent the light bulb. Well, that, that's, what I, that's what I really loved about uh, Jocelyn Jay. She has always, you know, to the outside, I, I, I have to share this with the audience. Jocelyn was doing her... Um, her, she was an entrepreneur, which she was successful about by it too. Jocelyn walks in. She invites me to a uh, charity event that's fighting trafficking for women. There is a. She walks in probably ten minutes after it starts. There is a raffle, and she wins. I think the trip to Hawaii or something like that. I can't believe it. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Don't even she remember just, this, but that's hilarious. She walks in, and that's that's just the way it is. I mean, literally, Jay, whenever whatever she puts her hands on, decides to do, she'll say, you know, I'm thinking about becoming a comedian. Next thing we know, she's doing well at Gotham Comedy Club. One of the that's right, you came Gotham. to my first show. Oh my goodness, that's yeah, one of her the Gotham Comedy Club. It takes most comedians, I don't know how long to get there, but Jocelyn says, you know, I think I'm going to do Gotham. The next thing we know, she's doing, <laughs> you know, 
So that's that's one thing I've always admired about her is that when she says she's going to do something, she just does it. She doesn't. I'm not saying you don't say that there's obstacles there, Jocelyn, but I just want our audience to realize that while you may have obstacles, if you really focus more on your obstacles, then you won't focus on what you're committed to. Yeah, you have to focus and, on the action. It's very easy to get lost in the train, the crazy train that leads you nowhere. But you know, sometimes, all right, tell me, I'm gonna just shut up and just do what you have to do. Exactly. Well, Jocelyn, we thank you for being on the show, and uh, we will update our audience to all of your work. And we have our next guest, but if you could tell people where they could find you and when your next show is in New York, it would be great. And we'd love to have you back on, you know, sometime next year because we didn't get a chance to get into the fact you've been on NBC and things like that. So would you tell folks when your next show is and where they can find you? Sure. Uh, I have two shows this weekend, one on Saturday, 8.30 p.m. is at Left Field. It's in New York City. And Sunday, I have two shows. The first one at 7.30 is at Solas on East 9th Street in New York City. And then I'm on the 9 p.m. show at Broadway Comedy Club. Oh, wow. Wow. Congratulations. Mm. (laughs) Thanks. Well, thank you for being on, and Jocelyn, we will be sharing um, with our audience online what you're up to, so thanks a lot. Thank you so thank much you. for having me. All right, thank you. Awesome. Have a great one. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. Well, Jay, I mean, amazing woman, lawyer, consultant, you know, successful entrepreneur, and now a successful comedian. And now, Jay, I'm really excited. I mean, I know that you're outvoted today with all the women. But I'm really excited. I met this woman at uh, the United Nations, and I just fell in love with everything she said. You know, I like to be really real about things. And she's just a really real down-to-earth person. She is the first NFL woman football coach, and I am proud of that. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm really proud of this, Jay. And it's with the Arizona Cardinals. So without further ado, we're going to bring on Dr. Jen Welter. Hello, uh, Ms. Walter. How are hey, you? Hey, guys. How are we doing? We're doing fine. And uh, <laughs> what, before we get started, do we call you Dr. Jen Welter? Do we call you Jen? Do we call you Ms. Welter? What do you prefer? Um, well, you know, it's funny. In training camp, uh, my guys had the same question, and they were like, what's up, coach? And somebody else, like, you know, I said, I said you can call me coach, you can call me doc. It's Jen, and one of the guys said, well, I'm just going to go with Dr. J then. So, you know, um, that kind of stuck, and, and Bruce picked up on it as well. So so we'll call you Dr. J. How's that? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Dr. J, you know, you've made history. You know, the first woman NFL coach, what an amazing accomplishment. But before we go there, we'd like to know where did this all start? How did you get interested in playing football as a woman, and how old were you? Um, you know, there are pictures of me just as a tiny little kid, and I used to make my cousins pull the mattress out on the back porch, and I would grab the football and put a helmet on, and I would make them tackle me. And apparently this would go on for, like, hours and hours and hours, and I would just laugh, and I would get up, and I'd say, you know, let's do it again. This was fun. So, you know, there's been something in me since I was very little that just had a love for the game of football. And I think, you know, that's a love that a lot of girls have. Um, 
though they, you know, like me, didn't have an opportunity to play it. Um, when I was younger, I actually didn't play until um, after college. And, you know, that's that's the situation, unfortunately, for for a lot of girls, though it's getting much more popular for girls to play now, and, and I'm excited to see it. Wow. Well, you know, what, what we'd like to do is ask you to tailor your answers to the questions because we want to get all the goodies, okay, Dr. J? <laughs> we have so many goodies we want to get from you, okay, uh-huh. and, empower, and empowering our audience. So we don't want you to give out all the goodies too soon. Is that okay with you? Uh-huh. Okay. So I know Jay has a question for you. Yes, I do, Dr. Jay. Okay, your first hit as a woman playing football, what was that like for you? Did it detour you from wanting to continue playing as a young woman after getting hit for that first time? No, actually, um, I had been hit many times before I played football. I played rugby in college. So by wow. the time I played football, I had pads and a helmet. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, you know, <laughs> Dr. J, being a young woman playing football, what was the experience, you know, from the men around you at that time and, you know, in school and other women when you were playing? Well, I, I mean, you have to remember, I didn't play football until after college. So, okay. you know, I didn't have those experiences like you're probably thinking of. You know, I was not an outlier, although it is tough, you know. Um, not everybody likes the idea of a woman playing football, but, you know, there is women's professional football. It all around the country, there's about 80 women's teams um, between the IWSL and WFA, so it's getting more and more popular. Wow. Dr. J, does women's football differ from from men's football? And if it does, how does it differ? The ball is slightly smaller. You'll see it um, as a size, you know, based on hand size. Um, wow. And the, know that. And the publicity, yep. And the publicity that it gets differs quite a bit, but the game is the same game. Really? So the ball is the ball is smaller, Gail. Maybe I can play. You know, that long. I the ball is smaller. <laughs> I mean, at every level of. But see, that's a common thing in football. Um, the NFL has the largest uh, size, whereas even um, some of the indoor football leagues, like the arena leagues, some of those are slightly smaller. Um, oh wow! You know, college is a different size, so is high school. So that's that might, is a no. common change within football. Really? Yep. Wow. Well, you know, be, being in sports for so long, you know, you, you, you talked about high school. Being in sports for uh, so long, Doctor J, how do you think youth can improve in their academics in urban areas being a part of sports? Because they learn discipline. Um, and it also is great for the endorphins. But, you know, sports teach kids how to, you know, work hard for something, and you can see the results of your hard work in a very tangible way. You know, you see a game plan play out right before your eyes. You know, you see the benefits of studying your plays and, um, you know, studying your opponents and um, what practice makes. And, you know, there are a lot of very good life lessons that um, come through sports. Plus, it empowers um, them. You know, Jay, I wanted to just sneak a question in here if it's okay. Um, have you 
you know, are there things that, you know, from what you see, you know, if you if you were working in a school yourself or have you worked in a school, you know, what would you implement in the schools right now? What kind of sports program would you put in the schools that could support the students in exactly what you're saying right now, Dr. J? Um, well, first of all, I think one of the biggest problems we have with our youth now is that they don't move enough, um, you know, with all the the technology nowadays, you know, we're we're moving less and we're sitting more and then we wonder why kids can't focus in school. I mean, it's not about what kind of sports program in schools. You have to have sports in schools. You have to have physical activity. You know, it's proven on so many levels how good sports are for people physically and, and psychologically. And yet, I mean, I know that a lot of schools have taken physical activity or PE out of out of class you know, out of the schedule. And I just think that that's a a horrible mistake. I think all of sports um, have great life lessons. They're, they're slightly different, but, you know, they can be commonly beneficial. And yet to not allow kids to run around and play and, and do all those things is, is one of the greatest disservices we could do to our educational system. Wow. That's uh, that's a good answer. I think so too, because you know, you know, you need to move around in those classes. You know, you can't just sit and read a book all day. Um, well, I want to know, Doctor J. What I want to know is, what can business professionals learn from sports and teamwork? Oh my gosh, that's such a long answer. Um, you know, <laughs> it, there's, it, I mean, the, you know, all of there's a reason why you know all the Fortune 500 companies hire athletes. Um, and coaches to come in and talk to them. You know, sport is a microcosm of life. And the reason why people are so drawn to, you know, say watching a football game is that you see these things play out um, in a shorter time frame. You know, you see what it's like to have, you know, just like I said with the kids, you know, you see what it's like to have, say, a strategy and how that strategy plays in, right? Like the offense is going to do X, Y, and Z to defeat the other team's defense. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. You know, you are you have to be able to take a timeout, refresh your strategy, halftime you go in, evaluate what you've been doing, come out and do something again. Um, you know, um, the the benefits of, of seeing progress, even on a football field, you know, your your success isn't just touchdowns it's measured 10 yards at a time and then you reevaluate and you move forward. I mean, all of these things there, that's why sports metaphors are, are so intimately integrated into the business world is because, you know, all of those things and, you know, leadership and diversity and teamwork and, you know, all of those things, whether it's on a football field or, or in a business, I mean, you still need the same things to survive. Wow. You know, um, we understand you joined an all-men's football league, you know, after being in the women's football league. And you were, mm-hmm. you know, and you were, you were hit hard and you got up. And how was mm-hmm. it playing in the men's league and what did you learn from playing there that differs, uh, you know, that differs from what you learn in playing in a women's league? Um, you know, I think it's less about what I learned. It's not like one league is different than the other. 
you know, football is football, and I think that that's the best thing that you can learn. It's not about male or female. It's the sport in general. Um, you know, playing with the guys, it was a great experience because you saw the guys take to a woman in their sport, and it was um, a situation where we all became very close, and it was those bonds that later, you know, had the new head coach want to hire me because, you know, we were so close and there was so much respect. So, you know, I, I don't think it's as much about finding differences between men's and women's football. I think it's more about realizing that, you know, football is football, just like, you know, accounting is accounting and you could be great at it as a woman or you could be great at it as a man. Well, no, it's you're great at it as, as an accountant. Hmm. Wow. Dr. J, when when you played in the men's league, how did the men react to you being the only woman? The men were great. You know, some <laughs> like it more than others. But, um, you know, I, I could lovingly say that I have um, a lot of football big brothers. And, you know, we keep in touch to this day. Wow. Well, you know, how, you know, how did you become, you know, we're going to go into the NFL area now. How did you come to be in the NFL league? And what do you apply from the experience you've learned in playing on all your teams? Well, I mean, you know, I was coaching in indoor football in arena, um, which is also men's professional football. It was the same team that I had played for. And, it was from there that I went to the Cardinals. Um, what I apply from them is that, you know, it, there are different lessons that you take all along the way. You know, I played football for 14 years, so I have a lot of experience, and that's what any coach does when they step into a coaching situation is, is you draw on your your experience and do your best to integrate it in a way that makes you a great teacher. And one thing that was very important to me is that all of the players know, knew and know that I care about them both as players and as people. And I think that a lot of the times that that gets lost, especially at the elite level. Wow. So, so Dr. J, what do you love about being an NFL coach? Um, well, first of all, I was with the Cardinals through preseason and training camp. Um, so I'm not currently with them. Um, but what I loved about it was, you know, everything. I mean, I love the game of football. I love, you know, being a part of a great coaching staff. I love seeing the guys, you know, come together as a unit and just really um, perform well. I I love the relationships that you build and um, that camaraderie and that teamwork and, um, you know, and that, that both is a part of, you know, coming together as a coaching staff and also as a team. Uh, you know, um, Dr. J, one of the things I loved in listening to you at the UN, okay, was your earthiness, you know, and really straightforward talk, Okay. And, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a fellow woman, you know, who's married herself or, you know, has a brother, you know, and Jay's like a brother to me, you know, would you share 
for working. Because I, I think that you have so much to offer in sharing with this. Because not every woman can get, you know, can connect with men on different levels. And as a fellow woman, would you share from working with men as a team player? What can we learn as women to be more in partnership with the men in our lives, personally and professionally? You know, I think we as women focus too much sometimes on equality. That's just my personal opinion. Rather than just connection and partnership. What do you think about that and what are your thoughts and opinions on that? Well, you know, I I think um it's very important to realize the overarching principles of of what brings you together rather than trying to find difference. You know, I never went in and said, I'm a woman, you have to listen to me because I'm a woman. No. I'm I'm a football player just like you are. I mean, why not why not focus on on that commonality, right, and that common bond rather than the differences. You know, right. I don't feel like I don't feel like you have to to make things uncomfortable because now there's a woman. You know, I mean, right. one of the most important things that um, you know, my guys needed to know both when I played with them and when I coached guys is that you know, it, it wasn't going to be awkward. You know, you have to have a good sense of humor. You have to be easygoing. I mean, I remember one of the players very distinctly, he called me ma'am. And he, he felt so bad. You know, he checked himself. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, coach. And I just looked at him and I was like, I am never going to get mad at you for being a gentleman. Your mom raised you well. You can call me ma'am. You can call me coach. You can call me Dr. J. Just don't call me a B. And we started laughing, you know, but they had to know that I wasn't going to be up in their face. And that was, that was important. Um, you know, like if somebody says, okay, come on guys, it's not like, um, it's, it's guys and a woman. No, it's, it's all encompassing. Like don't make yourself different. Um, and so I like to say that they, you know, they treated me like one of the guys and yet still respected me as a woman. And I think that that's important because you don't just want to be a man, you know, you still want them to be gentlemen or whatever, but, um, you know, and and have that sense of humor, but also treat you one of the guys, like one of the guys, so you're not getting away from the complete locker room setting or, you know, they're walking around on their tiptoes all the time. That doesn't work. Um, and, you know, as women, focus on being good. Don't focus on being, you know, I'm a woman that's doing this. Like, hey, I'm a football coach, and I know what I'm doing. Um, and I can help you win, and that's what they want to see. I mean, if you can help them win, they'll listen to anybody. If you're not going to help them win, it doesn't matter if, you know, if you're a woman, a man, if you're um, young or old. It, it it's about it's about that credibility, and you know, I think women just, you know, it's about focusing and being authentic. Be yourself. Own your your own style, right? Like my coaching style was a little bit different. Um, whether it's my doctorate in psychology or, you know, the woman's touch, whatever it was, um, it worked because it was authentic and it was heartfelt. And, you know, I, I think that's important for women to know, like, just because you're with men doesn't mean you need to be a man, you know, don't try and play by their rules, like know and know yourself, own yourself and be authentic with yourself and do your job. Okay, I, I'm I'm going to say this, and I told you this directly, you know, when we met. This is why I love mm-hmm. you, <laughs> and not and not because and not because you're saying what I so much agree with. It's just because you're who you are, and 
it, it is so just very down to earth, and it's the same way that I 100% feel. Jay and I talk about this all the time. And I really appreciate you sharing this with our audience because I think that sometimes just it doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. It's just being who you are and being yourself. That's what's important. Mm-hmm. And people will like you for who you are, and you'll attract people who are like you and who value you when you're yourself. But, you know, when you try and be something you're not, then then you're going to attract all the wrong people and you're going to send the wrong messages because it it's forced and it's fake and people will see through it. You know, why why be bad at being something else when you could be really good at being yourself? Love it. I love it. You know, um, Jay, I know you have a question and we're running out of time, but one of the things Ayanna Van Zandt, who works with Oprah Winfrey, said uh, on TV once, she said, if you're not being yourself, when people finally meet who you are, they won't want to be around you. And, I, I, you know, I thought that was a very powerful statement because it runs right into what you're saying. Absolutely. You know, th- thank you so much. So, Jay, I, I don't want to take up your time because I know you have some questions. Okay. Uh, Dr. Jay, what lessons have you learned now being an NFL coach that you bring into your everyday life? Oh, my gosh, there are so many. Um you know, and it's not just in the NFL, it's it's football, it's life. Like, you know, it's like the business lessons that you were you were asking me about. I mean, all those things play out so, so perfectly. But I think, you know, one of the things that I would say, and this goes back to like women being separate from men, and, and this is a huge lesson for me, is that guys are capable of much more than we often give them credit for. We just don't necessarily put them in a situation where they can prove us right. Um, and and that would be, you know, in this case, people were very concerned, would guys in the NFL respond to a female coaching football? And the answer is a resounding yes. Not only did they, res- like, did they respect me and respond, but they loved it. And I think that oftentimes people don't give guys enough credit. And, you know, I I am a woman and I'm all for women getting opportunities, but I'm not for, you know, putting guys down in order to do it. You know, I I have been blessed to have guys who lifted me up and challenged me and, and put me in, in tough positions, you know, um, put me in, in, in coaching roles and, in, um, you know, and physically like tackled me, but, it was those things literally, you know, taking those hits, which I've taken physically and, you know, um, rising to the occasion that made me who I was. And, you know, I believe that guys are capable of a lot more, but we have to give them the opportunity to be great. And no, that's not all of the guys, obviously, you know, there are some who, who aren't pro women, but a lot of them, you know, really are. Wow. Well, you know, um, what we have, one of the last questions we have for you, Dr. J, um, is, you know, young people, you know, especially Jay and I, we work with youth all over the world, okay? Mm-hmm. And our last question together is, what lessons can we learn in bringing partnership to girls and boys and learning to work together now while they're in school so that the next generation is working closely together and empowered to do so? especially in urban environments where there's a lot of gang-related fighting, you know, mm-hmm. and 
and and and also this is like a twofold question. Also, where there are a lot of cultures from around the world, of you know, racism is playing a big part now in different parts of the world. How can we bring? I mean, I think sports can bridge that gap. What is mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? How can we bring this all together so that we can stop the gang-related violence in urban environments and bring cultures together, too, where there's, you know, where we're having problems between the youth? Because a lot of youth don't even see race these days. So how do we, you know, how do we keep that going so they don't see that and they come together? Absolutely, sports. Sports, you have a, you know, sports have long been an answer to gang violence, first of all. You know, it bridges the gaps. It, it shows that there are, are more similarities between people than, than differences, and it teaches you how to work together. But remember, most people who fall into, like, say, a gang family, they're looking for a surrogate. They're looking for a, a place to feel loved and appreciated, which maybe they didn't get with their families or, or the streets re- required them to find you know, a place where they kind of fit in for protection and all of that stuff. Well, teams do the same thing, just in a, you know, in a healthier manner. And so, you know, when you do that, you empower them and give them, you know, give kids something to live for and something to fight for, and it's not fighting for existence out on the street. You know, they have a family. They have a place where they feel good and strong and powerful and they have a path and direction in their life. You know, the same thing goes for seeing seeing past differences. You know, I just watched the movie 42 last night, and, you know, it was amazing the, the impact that Jackie Robinson had on all of the people around him by just showing, you know, well, okay, African Americans aren't inferior oh, wow, well, all of these things, you know, and we're around you and we know that you're not that different. And it makes you question all of the ideologies that maybe you were raised you were raised with that might have you see differently, right? So any of those questions that you might have had if you were brought up, say, in a racist society, you know, you might just take them as as a given until you have an opportunity to see them confronted. And, you know, thankfully sports does that because it makes you work um, with each other and around each other. And, and, you know, you learn things that you may not have even known to question. And, and that's one of the biggest things with racism is, you know, some of the things are so ingrained that you don't even know the right questions to ask to get the answers that might change your thinking. But when you're in close proximity with somebody, when you're, working with them in, you know, to achieve a common goal such as winning, of course you're going to start to say, oh, my gosh, how did I not know that? Or why did I think that? And and it, it makes us, you know, uh, a lot better off to see those things. Okay. Okay. Uh, we thought, and, you know, before we go, is there any last advice that you want to give to, not just youth, but intergenerationally, you know, young and old, about how sports can make a difference to bridge a gap between intergenerations? Um, you know, I think the message that I would leave is, is you know, see the value in, in the people that are around you. 
everybody has different value and they all bring something to the table. And it's not about you versus them. It's about how do we make an experience richer? You know, I love the football field because it literally, it requires 11 very different people at any one time to make it work. You know, if all 11 players on a football field looked exactly the same, you'd have the worst team in the world. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing. It, you know, there's a place for everybody and not understanding it's important. And when you see that, you can even see that unfold in terms of age because, you know, those of us who have, they passed our playing prime, now we have a lot to offer in terms of coaching, right? We can bring other people up around us. So realize that just because somebody's not in the same place in their career, that there's not something great that they can, you know, add to your life. Beautiful. And Jay, do you have any last questions for Dr. Jay? Hello? Jay, did we lose you? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, no, I'm here. I want, I, want, okay. I, want to, I want to know, Dr. Jay, what is your favorite position to play on the field? If you had the choice and you can only be one in one position, what, would, what position would you play? I mean, I played linebacker most of my career, so I would hope that that was mine. <laughs> yeah, she plays the hardest position. <laughs> oh, yeah, and that's what I coached, too. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, and, you know, it is. And I have, I have one last question I must ask you. What? Who is your – and I'm sure you have several favorites. I don't want to put you in this position. But who is your all-time favorite player? Oh, can't answer that one. I have too many. <laughs> I have too okay. many, and I have too many friends in the game. I'm not even going there. <laughs> okay, well, you know uh, – Dr. J, we thank you for being on our show. It's been a pleasure. And we'd love to know if you'd come back, you know, next year sometime with us. Yeah, it depends on where I am and what I'm doing. But, you know, if I can, I will. Okay, well, thank you so much for being with us. And we enjoyed having you and enjoyed what you had to say. Sure, guys, no problem. Thank you so much. All right, have a great day. (laughs) You too. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.